Well, good morning, everyone. This is a part two of Called to Influence, our series for 2024. And as I said last week, we actually went through all the sub-series that are related, are going to be related to this overall series. Based on this verse and found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if you weren't here last week and you didn't get to listen to the message, which now, thankfully, is on YouTube. Uh, we're still getting into the process of buying a camera, which we're going to have approved at the next AGM, and then there'll be a mixture of PowerPoint and camera. So please continue to pray for us uh, with that process. But if you missed all that last week, I just you know, encouraged us just to be look at this verse and put ourselves in this verse. So instead of Paul saying, imitate me, us saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, influencing, in other words, uh, one another. And the key of the passage was influencing one another. When you hear an average message about influence, it's all about influencing the culture. But when Paul writes this verse, I can tell you for a fact, he's not talking about unbelievers. Because as I said last week, there's no point trying to get an unbeliever to imitate you in your behavior if there's no faith. It's absolutely pointless. There has to be faith first because God's the one that gives the power in order to imitate us or Paul. Overall, it's Christ. Today, still talking about the people of influence, this morning's message I've entitled, The Priorities of Influence. When it comes to influencing people, knowing that in order to influence someone, we would have already had to have been influenced by someone else to get to that point, if not Christ, but more than likely, God uses other people in our lives as spiritual um, overseers or mentors, some people call them, or whoever, to encourage us to do the same. But where should our priorities lie when it comes to influencing people? And that's what I want to talk about today. Who is the number one group of people in our lives that we should be influencing? Hopefully, this went through your head. Family. Our number one priority should be family. Now, the hard thing about this morning's message is that we are all in, sorry, we are in all walks or stages of life. Some people have been there, done that. And so I've been trying hard. How can I incorporate everyone into this message, even knowing that some um, are still at a stage where they don't even have family here or in their lives, uh, let alone we'll be talking about kids. Some people are not at that stage. So I'll do my best to make sure everyone can apply this message. The passage that I'm basing this scripture on, uh, this message on, this sermon, is Proverbs 22.6, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, I was brought up hearing this verse preached. And to tell the truth, I think we've gone a bit overboard with it. I believe that there have been many misapplications brought to the table, primarily through preachers, of course. And on the screen, I see this as a misapplication. Applying this proverb to salvation. And what I mean by that is, I'm sure if you've been brought up in the church, you might have been maybe guilt-tripped, where we look at Proverbs 22-6, training a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, but, whoa, I trained my child in the way that he should go. He lived in a, a pretty healthy Christian life. And they're no longer following the Lord. They've departed from it. And we ask ourselves, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Did I not train up the child in the way that he should go? Did I stuff up somehow? And so we're going to be talking about that in misapplying this. But straight away, when I look at that verse, that can mean a whole lot of things. Train up a child in the way it should go. If you're asking me, Tim, if it's not about, you know, salvation or, or godly principles, and I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying if we're not applied to salvation. We can train a child in many different ways. I was so blessed this morning. I couldn't believe what was happening behind my eyes, before my eyes, not behind me, before my eyes at the breakfast table. Carrie had just gone to get ready. She'd finished early. And there was Griff finishing before me. Oh my goodness, he got up from the table and started to get his mother's plate. And I thought, oh my goodness. I don't remember training you to do that, but that's, that's really good. But it didn't stop there. Then he said, because I had a little bit left on my plate, and I wasn't eating it anymore. And he said, are you finished with your plate? He's never done that before. <laughs> it's like tears nearly ran to my eyes. Oh, my goodness. This is what I love to see. And then he put me to shame. Because later on, when we're getting just about to go out the door, I walked by the dining table, and there was a chair out. And it wasn't Griff's. It was actually my chair. Oh my goodness, my son put me to shame. But I believe when we're looking at this verse, we're training the children to do that, right? To have manners, to know how to act in society, to be a positive influence in society. Why are we relating this verse to something that might be out of our control, that is out of our control? Because I can teach, I can teach my son, our children, we can teach our children to do what we call, what do we call them? Um, spiritual disciplines. We call them spiritual disciplines. What are the things we can do in our lives to help us um, make our relationship with God stronger, build up our faith, 
And so we would say, you know, we have our devotionals, we read our Bibles, we pray, we have disciplines that we do. We go to church, have a prayer meeting, all this stuff, have a time alone with God, all all those things that we should be teaching our children. But can we at the same time force it to be real and genuine in their lives? Because they can act like it, right? They can act like it's real, but it might not necessarily be real. We might not know, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that later. Possible reasons, though, where we went wrong. I'm not saying we're all perfect, okay? Definitely not. I don't think there's anyone in this room where we can say we're perfect in regards to our parenting and the way we've brought up our kids. I, for one, I've only done done for eight years so far, and boy, yes, still making mistakes like today. Possible reasons where we weren't wrong. I think we should examine ourselves at the same time. And if you don't have kids yet, this might be a warning for you, possible reasons where you might go wrong. This first one applies to me. More focus on ministry than family. I uh, went to a conference this week. If you're on Facebook, you're aware of that. On Sunday, because I said, guess who came to Australia? You know, a, a person I follow, I've followed for over a decade now. He's a leadership a guru, you call it, in the leadership sector of church and now business. But his name's Kerry Newhoff. And he was a pastor way back in the day. And he's now sharing his experiences of burnout, where he was a, a pastor of a small church. It grew rapidly. And just like any other pastor, he thought, well, the more people that come to the church, the more hours I have to work. Sadly, it got to the stage where he, I think he nearly became suicidal, was, did become suicidal. But he remembers, family came after ministry. So I'm learning from him and others where, no, I've got to be, all pastors should be aware of this. Family comes first. Or it might be a major offense occurred that was not addressed or resolved. Maybe you're adult, you have adult children um, or children whatever, maybe they're still living at home and, and there's a major offence that has happened and it was not resolved properly. Maybe that is a reason the child's gone wayward. Or, this is pretty common, how many times does divorce mess kids up? I was a teacher for 15 years and I can see here this firsthand: Divorce messes kids up. I wouldn't blame a kid if your whole outlook of God and everything has just gone out the window. Because you're saying, well, my parents are talking about all this love, and here they are, there's love just, love never fails, right? Oh, but what's going on here? And that's just three. I'm sure there's many other reasons. And then there's this one. This one I'm still working on. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I have a 
what my wife calls a, a very unique personality or a unique humor to my side. Um, she's probably not brave to say it's, it's a sick humor that I have at times because I do like to joke around with my kids, uh, but there's times when I don't do it at the appropriate time, when maybe they are angry and, and I'm just, maybe I'm seeing how much I can push buttons. I, for some reason, I do like to do that. Not just with family, but like other people. I just like to say something random and see how they react. And, you know, I don't know. It's maybe the drama in my life that I, that I miss, never had as a child. I don't know. I can say that because, oh, no, my parents are in the room. Whoops. All right, let's move on. But the reason this verse is, again, it's a, another reminder. Maybe there was a time where we provoked our children to anger. And we forgot about the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or that just went out the window because the offense was from our perspective, our role, and uh, we didn't address it well enough. But I would like you to think twice before going to where we're going to go right now. Think twice before using the following verses to explain why your child has gone wayward. It might be true. But it might not, and it's just think twice before going there. Some people use 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were, ne they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. Now read that passage carefully at home. It's not just talking about anyone and everyone. It's actually talking about antichrists, okay? So just beware of using that for your child. It could be. Maybe what I have taught them all those years, it was never real in their lives. But to say they were never really a Christian in the first place, I think it's just a, a very dangerous place to go. Well, this one. Ephesians 1.4. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Another verse that I think is taken out of context where I have a really strong, spiritual, Christian child, let's just say a son, and I don't have any daughters, so what I'll say is, at the same time, I have this rebellious, God-hater, it seems, daughter. What? How do you explain that? And so some people would say, well, God chose this person to be saved, my son, but God didn't choose my daughter to be saved. And they'll read this verse. Well, that's where they get it from. He chose us. Now, the mistake I think those people make is they add a very important word that's not there. The grammar word is an infinitive. They add an infinitive. They say, he chose us to be in him. But that's not what it says. And so just be careful with this verse. And I thought, well, I thought I'd do a plug for tonight because this passage is what we're talking about 
And so if you're not aware, we have started night services here at Fraser Coast Baptist Church. And I've put this on the website now, where I've said, come experience the unique opportunity to ask questions during the sermon. I actually don't know of any other pastor or church that does this. And so there's a way we can effectively do it where people, or well, the goal is for to provide an environment where people feel safe that they can ask questions while I speak. Because there are many different alternatives to this Ephesians 1.4. Hence why I don't believe that God chose us to be saved. But this happens every second and fourth Sunday. And since tonight is a fourth Sunday, we're going to have, starts at 5.30 p.m. Anyone is welcome. Anyone's welcome. And, uh, and as I said, we share a meal after the service just to build those relationships and, and maybe even um, help someone who is a visitor to feel more at home. And so I invite you, um, if Ephesians 1.4 interests you and you want to have the conversation about it, come tonight. It might take a few weeks to go because I'm sure we'll go on to other verses other than Ephesians 1.4. But there are um, possible alternative interpretations to have that verse make more sense than uh, what, the, uh, what we were talking about before. Now for those with grown children and they are not following the Lord, you might say, okay, Tim, if it's none of those, what, and you've done nothing wrong, if there's no offense caused, you had a great, what, 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 what is it? What's your answer to it? Why should we not apply Proverbs 22 verse 6 to what's happening with my child? And I say, who does God give grace to? But who does he oppose? Who does he resist? And you might know Proverbs 3 and other passages in the New Testament. God gives grace to the humble. He resists or opposes the proud. What stops us? Every single person in this world, what stops every single person from trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior? I reckon you could pull it, pull it all down to pride. Pride. Pride comes in many different shapes and forms. Pride is just not that you're full of yourself. There are many people, you might know them, that are not willing to admit that they need forgiveness. Pride. People who are not willing to let go of their sin. Selfishness, pride. Full of themselves. It's all about me. They're not willing. And then we have religionists. No, I can't trust Jesus Christ alone. I've got to do this and this and this. Pride. I can't, I can't let God do it all for me. Pride. Many shapes and forms. And so pride is something that I can teach my kid or my child to know how to handle it. But in a sense, I can't really stop him from being proud. I take, for instance... Well, he's not going to listen to this anyway, so I can talk about him, and he's at Sunday school. 
Unfortunately, my son has a hard time um, not just losing, <laughs> but um, I, wouldn't, I might be exaggerating here a bit. This is, just, this is for sake of illustrative purposes only, okay? Um, let's say he, he uh, is, becomes really, uh, you know, those annoying people that if they win, then they really rub it in your face, you know? All right, so I can teach my, I can teach my child, we can teach our children to handle, to act in a, an appropriate way when pride sneaks up. I can say, hey, Griff, like when you win, just shake their hand and say thank you for the game. I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I beat you. I win. Now we have a game of Spoto in the car going at the moment. Freddie's joined now. And this just is not Spoto. Now it's Spoto, I win. Or being a, a sourpuss when you lose. I can teach Griff to handle that in an appropriate way, but I can't control him to not be a sourpuss. It's just something that the sin we can't control, someone's sinning, we can't control each other. But I can act, teach him how to do it. But then again, if I teach him how to do it and it's never real, is it on me? Is it my fault? No. So why do we blame each other for my grown-up child not following the Lord? We feel guilty. If you've done an honest job, don't feel guilty. But just think of this. Hanging out with your adult children is like visiting with the most beautiful and precious parts of your life. Ah, <sighs> That should be the reality, right? <laughs> it's not, obviously. What a blessing it is. I hope it's like that for me. But I have to ask the question. I go back to, is there something that I have done, that I have done, that has caused an offense to my child that I am able to resolve if I humble myself and not just, again, not just ask or not just, sorry, say you're sorry, but to ask them whether they would forgive you of that, I think there's a big, big difference in that, most powerful change. I think we are great at saying sorry. But a good thing I've learned with kids is that, no, don't just say you're sorry. Ask him, will you forgive them of that offense? Do we need to do that in our lives? Now, sometimes we can't. Sally, I was just talking to a person recently that I haven't spoken to their parents and in the adults who haven't spoken to their um, parents for, I don't know what, um, yeah, over a decade. They don't know where they are. And it wasn't an offense that this person had caused purposefully that he knows of. He doesn't even know the offense really. It just wasn't addressed. So there's some things that are out of control. But what I'm saying, if there is a situation in our life that is under our control, Shouldn't we, as people wanting them to imitate us, make the first step, make the first move, if it's something that we have to admit ourselves? 
Yeah, attention all men in the room. When it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, I believe there's more of a responsibility for us blokes than there are in the women in the room. And why I say that is because of a number of scriptures where husbands are instructed to do things that women are not, that wives are not. I still don't get the ins and outs, but all I know is there is an instruction there. One such passage, Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up himself for her. There's no instruction for women to give up their life for the husband. Interesting, eh? Interesting. So it's like this, if we put ourselves in the, our shoes, it's like there's more responsibility on the man to say to your wife or your spouse, imitate me as I imitate Christ, more than the wife saying to the husband, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's just a sad reality these days, particularly in this Christian church where the, the wives are the examples in the relationship rather than the men. You know, there's a few in here. The women attend church, but the husbands stay at home. It's not God's desire. But men, I think we have a bigger responsibility to really implement and apply 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 to ourselves more than our wives. I thought I'd put that out there since we're talking about family. Because I don't think our responsibility is on us to be examples to our parents. That's not in Scripture, is it? Even with siblings. Could argue for younger siblings, maybe. Just putting it out there. Since we're talking about family. This is where the hard part. For those without children. How can you apply this passage to you? Or maybe start preparing on how. Get into the practice of being willing for people to imitate you. So when you do have a child, that will come naturally. You don't have to, hey, wait till you have a kid and then I'll get, I'll get real with God then. Why? And most of the time when I see that, it doesn't even happen. Sadly, so many kids going to church and the adults not coming, practicing their faith, and the parents don't. It's very sad. If you're old for those without children, well, I already addressed, addressed them in the room. Um, no, I didn't. You might, you might um, be in a situation where you've never been able to have kids, you know. Um, it's a sad reality. But can you apply this verse to your life? Eh, not personally, but I think you could help other people do it. Could you actually be what we call a 
spiritual parent, or for most, maybe a spiritual grandparent, yeah, a mentor in someone's life. I, I, it would be so great. I'm looking forward to the day, because it hasn't ha- happened yet, and this could be on me, where someone new comes into the church, they get saved, and there's no one to disciple them personally. Because I think if someone is newly saved, especially as an adult, they need a mentor, a one-on-one mentor. And it's not the pastor. It can't be the pastor. I'm sorry, the pastor has already too much going on. This is where the work of the ministry is within the saints. This is what the church is for. But we've had come people come get saved, but sadly I haven't, I've been unable to find spiritual mentors for these people. And yes, technically, they're not a child, but I think we can explain or we can apply the same principle of the verse to their lives. And, and this is what baby dedications, this is why we have baby dedications, right? It's not just to commit the baby to the Lord and pray that one day they'll be saved. I think the primary reason to having baby, baby dedications is for you as a parent, yes, to present the baby before the Lord. But you're already doing that, really. You don't need a ceremony to do it. I think the primary reason for baby dedications is to invite your church community to help you do that. And saying, hey, I am publicly declaring in front of my church community that number one, I would like, I am, we are, or hopefully we are, there's two of you there, we are presenting and dedicating this baby, dedicating ourselves to training this baby up in the way that they should go. And then at the same time, I think it's inviting the community that you are a part of to not just make you accountable to it, but to invite help. I think we need to work on this a lot because we're great at judging and condemning bad behavior in the church by little kids. But that's the easy thing. If you say, shut up your child, I want to listen to God. I don't want to be interrupted when I'm listening to the pastor preach. But it's another thing offering your help to do it. Like I just said, like, we, there was a visitor in the church a number of months ago, but I couldn't even hear the my kid playing with a certain toy. I had a visitor come up to my wife and say, would you please take that toy off your son? Like, where do we get this idea that that's actually help? Hopefully, the answer is clear. Who should be our priority when it comes to discipleship in the church? Family. Family. It should always come first. But the question is, which we all have to discern by ourselves since it's our own walk with Christ, 
You know? Does that excuse me from... If I'm a family man, I'm young with kids, I'm busy, guys. Does that excuse me from keeping the focus off everyone else? I don't think it does. But the purpose of the message is priorities. Priorities. And hopefully it's been a blessing for you this morning. Let's pray for God's help in however way he spoke to us um, to respond to it. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you've designed or orchestrated the systems of family with a husband and wife. Thank you for the systems you've orchestrated in this world with having a spiritual family on top of that where we have communities to support one another. And I just commit ourselves to you asking that whatever way you spoke to us this morning, uh, whatever application we could bring into our own lives, if, if it is applicable, Lord, um, may you just empower us firstly, but prompt us, give us insight onto how we can know, make things right if they are needed to be made right. We just want to commit ourselves to you, helping us to always have family as the forefront of our ministry, particularly when it comes to discipleship and being called to influence. I ask that this will be done in the name of Jesus. Amen.